In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, our Bible study from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12, will start from verse 35. And actually, this passage matching the Gospel of the Vespers that we just read right now. Let's start from verse 35. And also this part is the third gospel, the gospel of the third watch of the midnight hour. The gospel of the third watch of the midnight hour. Verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. The master here, our Lord Jesus Christ, continues his teaching on the subject of covetousness and is still addressing his disciples. Early in this chapter, a man asked the Lord to divide the inheritance between him and his brother. And the Lord spoke about greediness and also spoke about covetousness. And he gave them the parable of the foolish rich man. So here the Lord actually is continuing his teaching about the love of money. So there is another reason why the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ should treat the accumulation of earthly goods with indifference. They should not be concerned about accumulating the money in this world. The reason is no man knows when the end of this state of things may come. In the parable of the foolish rich man, the Lord told him, tonight your soul will be taken from you. So we don't know when we will leave this earth. That's why our hearts should be fixed on something else, not on the money, but on the coming of the Lord. We need actually to be like servants on watch for the return of their master. Servants on watch for the return of their master. That's why the Lord told them, let your waist be girded. Your waist be girded. At that time, let me describe to you the manner of, the ancient manner of dress. People, men, and also females and women, they wore a long flowing robe as their outer garment. When they worked or walked or ran, it is necessary to gird or to tie up this very flowing, long flowing rope by a belt around their body, around their waist. Otherwise, this long flowing rope will obstruct either their work or walking or running. So, Girding the loins means to be ready, to be active, to be diligent. So he told them, let your waist be girded, meaning be ready for the coming of the Lord. Then he continues and said, and your lamps, your lamps burning. In Psalm 119 verse 105, David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. So, if my waist is girded, but the road is dark, I cannot run. Otherwise, I will stumble. So, I need lamp to enlighten my way. That's why he said, let your lamps burning. So, the girded waist 
symbolizes the inner willingness to serve the Lord and the inner readiness to the coming of the Lord. The burning lamp, actually, it is the external service, the outwardly service that will shine before men. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Or the word of God that enlightening my way. So the Lord here, when he told them, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, he continues and says in verse 36, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. So the Lord here compares himself to a master returning from a wedding at unknown hour. In reality, he is the bridegroom himself. And returning from wedding, because now in heaven, he is preparing for this consummation of the wedding. Now we are betrothed to him. But he is preparing our hearts for the consummation of the wedding. Then he will come expecting us to be ready, waiting for his coming. He is the bridegroom of the church. St. Augustine said on this verse, what does it mean to be dressed and ready for action? It means to control our passions, which is the work of chastity. So let your waist be girded, according to St. Augustine, means be pure, be chaste. St. Augustine continues, as for lightening our lamps, this means to light them brightly with good deeds. That is by righteous work. By righteous work, let your light shine before men. Then in verse 37 he said, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, why will find watching? Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. So the title blessed here, blessed are those servants. When this title blessed is used by our Lord, it implies a precious virtue in the one who is honored by this title. So what is the blessedness of this servant who are ready? Now the Lord will elevate them from servants to be friends, to be beloved, to be his bride. He will make them sit down to eat and he himself, the master, will serve them meaning he will elevate them from the status of servant into status of friends, beloved, because the church is his bride. So these true faithful ones are no longer his servants. Now they are his beloved. And he condescended himself to minister and to serve to their needs. I'm sure the apostles, when the Lord Jesus Christ on Covenant Thursday washed their feet, they recalled these words, that the master will gird himself, make them sit down to eat, and he will serve them. So the ready servants will be served by their master. This is a blessing. Blessed are those servants. 
there is rich reward in living a life ready and expectant for the return of the Lord. Verse 38, And if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. That's why the church reads this gospel in the third watch of the midnight hour, to remind us to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom in the third watch. Uh, during the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Jews divided the night into three watches. We know the night is, to, is 12 hours, so they divided the night into three watches, from 6 to 10, then from 10 to 2, then from 2 to 6 in the morning. But according to the Roman, and, and they were occupied by the Roman Empire, the Roman divided the night into four watches. First watch from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., then from 9 to midnight, then midnight to 3, and then from 3 to 6. And actually, we are using this division in our Agbeya, uh, midnight uh, hour. We have the compline, the 12 hour at 6. Then the veil for the months should be at 9. Then the first watch at 12, second watch at 3, uh, third watch at 6 in the morning. And then the first hour of the day, is the, the, is the prime will be at 7 a.m., the third hour at 9 p.m., and so on. Uh, some people divide it differently, so they the first watch at 9, second watch at 12, third watch at 3, then the first hour will be 6 in the morning. So these are two ways to divide them. Here the Lord did not mention the fourth watch or the first watch. He said if he should come in the second watch or the third watch. Uh, why? He said he is coming from the wedding. Usually, the banquet of any wedding is not over before the end of the first watch. They don't end it before 9 p.m. So they expect the coming of the bridegroom from the banquet either in the second watch or in the third watch. But the fourth also is not possible because with the fourth watch, the day would be breaking. So uh, the second and third watch represent the weary hours of night when to watch is indeed a task of difficulty and painfulness to be visual, vigilant until, you know, uh, 12 midnight or 3 in the morning or after this needs readiness, watchfulness, uh, determination from the person. But the father said the first watch is the childhood and infancy. Second watch is the youth. Third watch is the adulthood. Fourth watch is the senility, when people getting old. So, usually, in, in the first watch, there are children, so there is no great accountability for them because they are children. And we don't expect them to watch, just they are children. 
But the second watch and the third watch is very important to be vigilant and watchful. During this time, the person is busy either with his studies or marriage or rearing children or his work. And because of this busyness and maybe entanglement of the pleasures of the world, he forgets to be watchful. That's why the Lord mentioned second and third watch, because it's very important while you are busy with the busyness of life and pleasures of the world, don't uh, forget to be watchful for the coming of the Lord. But in the fourth watch, everybody actually now, he is feeling his aging, waiting for the coming of the Lord. So here actually there is no need to remind them to be watchful. The, the, the old age itself is a good reminder for them to be watchful. Uh, the Lord actually repeated the blessedness if he comes in the second watch or third watch and find them so doing, Assure, uh, blessed are those servants. Blessed are those servants. Uh, so the Lord repeated again uh, for those who are devoted and waiting for the coming of the Lord. Verse uh, 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. A thief never announces his coming. He comes at a time when you would not expect him. So the coming of the Lord will be in an unexpected hour. So, the way to be on guard against a thief is to live in constant readiness. And the way to be ready for the coming of the Lord is to live in constant readiness. So, it is perfectly clear in this parable that the coming of the Lord will be in an unexpected hour and the Lord wants us to be ready for his coming. Verse 40. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, when the Son of Man suddenly comes in His glory, it will be actually to gather all the people of all nations of the earth for the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment. Some will be prepared and ready like the faithful and vigilant servant of the Lord. But some people, the people of the world, will be unready, un un unprepared, unaware of his coming. So here the Lord is reminding us that we should be ready for this hour. This great event of the second coming of the Lord may be delayed, but this delay is to give us opportunity to repent. Also, it is a test of our loyalty. Are we going to continue to be faithful and loyal to the Lord or not? So don't be impatient if the Lord delayed his coming, it is for you to repent 
and a test for loyalty. Verse 41. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? We know that many times the Lord addressed only the disciples or addressed the multitude. So when Peter heard the parable concerning the coming of the Lord, in which actually the Lord declared to them his, sac- his sudden coming at an unexpected hour, and had how we should be watchful awaiting his coming, Peter asked the Master, the Lord, whether this parable is concerning the disciples only or to everyone. Maybe Peter was thinking, who are these servants? When they said, the Lord said, these servants, the Lord will gird himself and let them sit down to eat and serve them. Did he mean only the disciples that are entrusted with the church as servants and shepherds until the Lord returns? All this actually can apply for every believer because everyone is a steward entrusted with his own life also as a servant to the body and the soul that the Lord gave us also as a steward to the talents and everything that the Lord gave this person so each one of us is a steward and each one of us God will ask him give account of your stewardship So how the Lord answered? Usually the Lord doesn't answer with a direct question, or with a direct answer. For example, the Lord did not tell him, I say this parable to you, or I say say this parable to everyone. But the Lord answered in verse 42 and said, the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. So our Lord, in the deeply instructive method, which he often used, did not answer the question directly. But he taught all of us a a very important lesson which we need to learn as stewards whether we are servants in the church or steward entrusted by our own salvation and our own talents so this parable is not only for the twelve but for every faithful unwise steward. So, the Lord said to Peter, if there is a true, loyal, faithful steward, he will receive the reward reward promised. So, the blessedness that the Lord repeated twice any faithful and wise steward will receive it. Any watchful and ready will receive it. But those actually who are in the world not ready will not receive it. The watchful will be elevated from status of servants into the bride of, of the Lord. Friends, beloved, they will be counted worthy for greater matters and will receive a reward worthy of their faithfulness. Here the Lord said, who is that faithful and wise steward? If you are an owner of a business, and you want to hire a manager, 
What are the two important qualities that you are looking for in this manager? You need a person who is honest, faithful, and a person who is wise. Why wise? To be able to make profit. If he is not wise, he will not make profit. And why faithful? In order to render the profit for you, not to steal the profit from you. That's why the Lord said, Who is that faithful and wise steward? Wise stewards mean we use our talents and make profit. But this profit we render into God for the glory of God, not for our own glory. And then he said to appoint him over his household. Whether you are a servant in the church or you are parent or you are the household here can be yourself, your body, your soul, your spirit. The household can be your talent. So you need to be wise and faithful in order actually to make profit for the glory of God. And he said to give them their portion of food in due season. Uh, so the portion of food in due season, there are three points here. Very, very important point. Um, to reflect the wisdom of the steward. Let me imagine a person in charge of children to feed them. What are the three points here? He should actually choose the right food and the right amount in the right time. That's why he said, their portion of food in due season. The right type of food, the right amount, and the right time. So if you are a servant in the church, you need actually to give to your class, or if I'm a priest or a bishop, to my congregation, the right food, the right spiritual food, in the right time, in the right amount. That's why St. Paul, when he found the people in Corinth very, very early in their relationship with Christ, very young in their relationship with Christ, he told them, I fed you with milk. And so that's the right type of food. Right time, don't leave them hungry. You need to give them this food regularly. And you need to give them the right amount. If you give them very, very small amount, you are not feeding them. And if you give them huge amount, this actually will cause them trouble. In the same way in your stewardship, how to be able to nurture your talent in the right time, with the right tools, in the right amount. This is the wisdom in order to be able to make profit. And the reward as we read it also in Matthew 25-21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So this means after we die, we will be entrusted with responsibilities. Many people don't think that in heaven will be entrusted with responsibilities. No, we will. If we are faithful here in what is least, God will entrust us with what is much in heaven. 
and the ordination of the deacons or priests or bishops after the rite of ordination ends. So when the bishop holds the hand of the deacon of the priest to enter into the altar, he tells him, enter into the joy of your master. As if he is telling him, you were faithful in few things. Now God appointed you or entrusted you to over many things enter into the joy of your master. And when we are faithful here in what God entrusted us, then in heaven, God will entrust us with more things and will tell us enter into the joy of your master. So, if here in our responsibilities are faithful to the end, be faithful unto the end, and I will give you the crown of life. They will receive the high and peculiar, peculiar reward. Verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Over all, not only many things, but over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat, and drink, and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him into, in two, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. So, if that servant failed in his continuous watch for the returning of the Lord, and instead of toiling without rest in all the talents that God gave him, but they gave themselves up to worldly pleasure and passion, their destiny will be terrible. Eat and drink and be drunk. Also, if they live as oppressors of the flock, they beat the male servants and the female servants. So now they are oppressors rather than shepherds. Then to this unfaithful steward of the Lord, the Lord will come suddenly and like a thief in the middle of the night and he will cut them in two and appoint their portion with the unbelievers. Beating the male and female servants now as if he is taking the role of his master. So, he who harms the glory of Christ, because as I told you, if we are faithful, this is for the glory of God. So, the person who harms the glory of Christ or dares to scorn the entrusted flock, he is no different than those who do not know Christ or those who do not love him. So, he is exactly like the unbeliever. So the expression is simply implying, cut him in two, implying the terrible destiny that is reserved for those people uh, in the life to come. Because they misused their opportunities and neglected their responsibilities here. In order to be entrusted to uh, tend the flock of the Lord, 
You need to have love in your heart. That's why the Lord asked Peter, do you love me? And when Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you, then he told him, tend my flock. So the person who loves Christ and loves his sheep, he will take care of them. But the person who does not love Christ, he will neglect the sheep, then he will be punished and counted with the unbelievers. Verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will and did did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So when the master comes, the punishment and the reward will match the offense or your service. Those who know how to be ready, yet were not ready, will be punished worse than those who did not know and were not ready. So, great knowledge of the divine will, if it is given to you, and God gives you many opportunities to work, if you are faithful, then you will receive greater reward in the heavenly Jerusalem. But if God gives you his, the knowledge of his will and many opportunities to work, but you neglected this knowledge and you neglected the opportunities, then sorrow and woe will wait, await these people. So, those who are instructed by the Master with tasks in in His church, God will give them the ability to carry them out. So, no excuse will be tolerated. If God called me to be a Sunday school servant or a priest or a bishop, then God actually will give me the ability to carry out this service. So no excuse will be tolerated. But if I don't know the will of God and I have no opportunity, so I did what's wrong, this person will be punished also, but less severer than the person who knows the will and had many opportunities. So we need to notice here that the degrees and grades of punishment as well as the degrees of glory are uh, distinctly spoken of. So in heaven there are different levels of glory and in hell there are different levels of punishment. Verse 49. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. So in verse 49, the Lord said that he came to set the earth on fire. What is this fire? In the Old Testament, fire is used as a symbol of purification or of discernment or a symbol of judgment or manifestation of the presence of God or the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist told the Jews that the Messiah was coming with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Fire is one of the most expressive symbols of the transforming energy of the Holy Spirit. So, the fire that the Lord is speaking here about, it is either the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost or the refining and purifying fire that the Lord will let in his death and resurrection that will ignite and transform the new covenant people of God. St. John Chrysostom commented on verse 49 and said, By this, the Lord wanted to present to us a disciple full of blaze and fire, ready to endure every risk. So this fire should be kindled and ignited within the servants of the Lord. Verse 50. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. What is this baptism? It is the baptism of pain, suffering, blood, death, the passion of the Lord. He knew it must all be gone through to bring about the blessed result for which he became man. He left heaven and incarnated and became man. He looked on it and he was waiting for this moment but with terror. That's why he said, how distressed I am till it is accomplished. These words express the trouble and the distress that the Lord Jesus Christ was in, in apprehension of his suffering, because his humanity is perfect. So he experienced everything as a perfect human. He felt the agony, uh, he felt the pain, uh, especially when he is expecting the pain and the suffering during the time of crucifixion. Because he is perfect human, so the harassment, the oppression, the suffering, when he was thinking about these things, actually it made him in, in a state of grief and distress. That's why he said, how distressed I am till it is accomplished. So this is expression of human hesitation at the thinking of the agonies that was about to happen. St. Cyril of Alexandria said, by his baptism, he means die, D-Y-E, not D-I-E, die, D-Y-E, sabha, which is the physical death. By his stress, he means his grief and his endurance till they are fulfilled. That's why he said, how distressed I am until all these sufferings will be accomplished. Then in verse 51, the Lord said, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. How come? We call him the king of peace. Yes, Jesus Christ came to make peace with God, to reconcile man with his brother, to make peace between the person and himself. And he gave us the gospel of peace, a spiritual and eternal peace to people. But externally, he came to cause division. When people are divided concerning the gospel of Christ, whether to accept it or to deny it. So, when it comes to the truth, the word of Christ divided the people. So here the Lord is giving warning concerning his coming. Uh, 
that his gospel will not unify the people. Some people will accept his gospel, others will reject. And because of this acceptance and rejection, this will be a source of conflict and division, even within the families. Uh, and this may be the price that one must pay for being a faithful steward of Christ. When you follow Jesus faithfully, you may very well be in division for his sake. He said, verse 52, For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So what is the house that has five? Some said it is the entire world. And the two are the Jews and Gentiles. And the three are the Christians who believe in the Holy Trinity. So the Jews and the Gentiles are the two will be divided against the three who believe in the Holy Trinity. Who is the father who will rise against his son? The father he's, he, here is the devil who set himself as a father to the non-believers. So when Satan will find his son deserting Satan, renouncing Satan, and accepting Christ and to be son to the heavenly father, then the father will rise against, Satan will rise against his children who will leave him. And who is the mother who will rise against her daughter? It is the Jewish synagogue that is the mother who attacked the Jewish people who became Christian, like the man who was born blind. They persecuted the apostles and the disciples when they left their mother the synagogue of the Jews and accepted the faith in crucified Messiah. What about the mother-in-law who rose against her daughter-in-law? Again, the mother-in-law is the Jewish synagogue. And the daughter-in-law is the Gentile church who accepted being united with the heavenly groom, Jesus. Jesus, by nature, is Jewish. So, as a Jewish man, Jesus, he is the son of the synagogue. Then the Gentiles who married Jesus became like a daughter-in-law in the synagogue. But the synagogue actually rose against the daughter-in-law in the Gentiles who married Christ and believed in him. So, the Jewish synagogue at the same time attacking their daughter the Jewish people who became Christian and daughter-in-law the Gentiles who became Christian so the daughter and the daughter-in-law rebelled against this synagogue rebelled against the mother and the mother-in-law because the early church and Christianity in general rejected the literal deeds of the Old Covenant, like circumcision, washing, purification, all these sacrifices, they rejected all of this. St. Ambrose offered a different interpretation. He said the house that has five is a human being. In this house, there are two, the body and the soul. If they agree together in the name of Christ, then the Lord is in their midst. Through this unity, the body is enslaved to serve the soul. Then, 
these five, why he said the house that has five is a human being, these are the five senses. The smell, the touch, the taste, the vision, and hearing. So, what are the two against the three? St. Ambrose said, the two are the hearing and the vision. If you isolate these two, hearing and vision, and make them totally sanctified, you see what is pure and holy, you hear what's here and holy, and resist the wrongful physical pleasure. Physical pleasure comes through the taste, the touch, and the smell. So here the two are divided against the three. That's the interpretation of St. Ambrose. Then in verse 54, then he also, he also said to the multitude, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites. You can't discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? So now the Lord actually turned his attention to the crowds. And he rebuked the people because they did not discern this time. Meaning what? This time is the time of the revelation of the Messiah. The Messiah that the humanity waited for 5,000 years. Now he is in your midst and you cannot discern that he is the Messiah. You know the signs in the sky that mean rain is coming or predict the coming of hot, hot weather. But you don't know the sign written in the books of the prophets and in the Old Testament that predict the coming of the Messiah. And I preached these prophecies and they are fulfilled in me. So he tell, he's telling them, you should have recognized these signs and realize that judgment is near. But you closed your mind and hearts to the light of the gospel. That's why he told them in verse 57, yes, and why even of yourselves do, not, do you not judge what's right? Why you do not judge what's right? Why you are not searching for the truth and you are judging what's right from what's false? So he is asked his listeners to think through it for themselves. Anyone who can judge what's right can see the importance and the good of getting right with God before he comes as a judge to judge the world then you should think what's right and do it before God will judge you in the last day. So the meaning of the word here is not that they did not know what was right. No. But they did not act upon their knowledge. They did not act upon the knowledge of what's right. they were passing unrighteous judgment on the preacher of repentance. They accused John the Baptist that he has a demon, accused the Lord Jesus Christ that he is uh, a drunkard. So they heard the truth, but they did not act on it. John the Baptist and Jesus came to tell them about this time, the time of their visitation. God has visited them and sent the Messiah. But their action, instead, 
of being spontaneous and true, like their judgment of the weather, no, they rejected John the Baptist and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he gave them a parable to tell them, if you wait until you stand before the throne of God, the judge, it will be too late for you. That's why he's told them in verse 58 and 59, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge. The judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mind. So, they need to settle their earthly affair because divine, divine just judgment is coming and accounting will be made in which no one will be exempt. So, if you don't settle your account with God before the day of judgment, then there will be great penalty waiting for you. That's why there is urgency to get right with God now, to live in readiness, watchfulness, and anticipation of the return of Christ. St. Augustine explained, let us see who is this adversary with whom we have to agree so he would not hand us over to the magistrates. If you err, then the word of God is your adversary. Why the word of God is your adversary? Because the word of God is the adversary to your will. The word of God will be a source of your salvation. And in this way, if you follow the word of God, it will be useful and good for you. But he will be our adversary when we are enemies to ourselves. We don't want our own salvation. Since you are enemy to yourself, then the word of God will be enemy to you. If you are friend to yourself, meaning you care about your own salvation, then you are walking hand in hand with the word of God. So now you are settled with the adversary. So when the Lord said, when you go with your adversary to the magistrates, means when you are working with the walking with the word of God to the judge, make every effort along the way, the way here is your life, to settle with him. Lest the word of God drag you to the judge, and the judge will deliver you to the angels, to the officer, and the officer will throw the person who did not repent into prison, which is the lake of fire. So the way here is your life. If you, have, if you have a righteous will with the word of God and you agree with, with the word of God, then you will find peace. Uh, and you will find in God a father. And this father will not deliver you to the cruel officer who will throw you, throw you into the prison. But a person who is against the word of God, then he will stand before the judge and he will be delivered to the cruel officers uh, to be thrown into prison. The righteous, the angels will carry them to the bosom of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the paradise of joy. But the unrighteous will be carried to the Hades and then to hell. 
St. Augustine says, look how things change so quickly on the way during our life. All because you have agreed with the adversary. So when you agree with the word of God, then you will be in peace with God. Till you have paid the very last might, then the Lord alluded here to the idea there is price to be paid in the hell. This helps to explain the fearful and biblical truth that hell is eternal. Why? Because the pay, there is payment required for sins. And since we cannot make perfect payment because we are imperfect human, and this payment is required by the perfect God, so the punishment of hell is eternal. As the life in heaven is eternal, also the punishment in heaven is eternal. The torment of hell is forever. Uh, as we read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, the fires of hell are not quenched, but burning forever, as we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 48. This concludes actually chapter 12 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.